Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 192, The Great Pirate. Imagine if you're a young boy who works hard on a family farm daily, and at the same time, you long for something different, something you perceive as being better, something that takes you away from what seems like a distinctly bland life living in Pembrokeshire on an acreage that your father has owned for many years and is key to your family fortune. In an age when sailing was conceived as a way out of the humdrum life of routine, this would be seen almost at the same level as being an astronaut or a test pilot, something of an adventure, something of a new and dangerous lifestyle, and something that to a young boy serving a mundane lifestyle, it would be seen as an attractive option. As a young man, John Roberts was called to the seas, and that it was something to be accepted and not avoided. Roberts was born in 1682, and by the time he was 13, at an age when most boys apprenticed or ended up taking on more duties on the farm, he instead went to sea to serve and to help on a ship that would become vital to his later life. As a young man serving aboard the Princess of London, Roberts quickly rose up the ranks. The Princess was a slave ship that plied the route between West Africa and London. While there was no evidence one way or another, I imagine these kind of trips would harden your heart to the life of slavery and how others were treated. Within a few years, Roberts rose from the lowest level to third mate under Captain Abraham Plum. However, in June of 1719, his entire life would be changed, as Howell Davis, the Welsh pirate, captured the princess off of Ghana in West Africa. Roberts and several other crew members were then press-ganged into Davis's service. By this point, Roberts was not a young man anymore. He was in his late 30s. He had been serving on ships since his teens. He was familiar with and adjusted to the life of a seaman, and within very short order started to rise up the ranks of the pirates as well. Davis immediately perceived him as being someone who understood the life of a pirate, or at least the life on the sea, and he quickly began to elevate him as well, soon becoming Davis's favorite crewman. However, shortly thereafter, Davis died in an engagement with Portuguese authorities on Principe Island off the West African coast. Roberts was then elected by the crew to take over, showing just how quickly he had become a trusted leader to this group. The princess would then serve as Roberts's flagship until September 1719, when he captured the Portuguese ship Noso Senore de Compreseo. I'm not even sure I've pronounced any of that correctly, my apologies, uh, which became his new flagship, 
known then as the Royal Fortune. During his early pirate career, John made changes that would make his career so memorable, one of which was a change to his name. Roberts changed his first name from John to Bartholomew to make it more difficult for authorities to discover his identity, obviously to protect family back home, among other things. After the death of Davis, Roberts swiftly launched revenge attacks along these islands and raised these nearby forts and towns to the ground, making it clear that crossing Roberts was a very dangerous position for anyone in his sights. For Roberts, plunder was not the only reason that he would attack a town or a fort. In the Leeward Islands in 1720, for example, he set fire to a number of ships in a harbor as revenge for a recent hanging of fellow pirates on St. Kitts. He was considered the most successful pirate in an era of almost constant piracy. It had been claimed that he captured up to 400 vessels over his career, which, if true, would make him the most successful pirate in history. He was described as being deeply tanned, weather-worn, with a fairly eclectic array of clothes that set Roberts apart from the usual drab pirates of an era who typically wore, as we've mentioned before, fairly normal drab environs and clothing that they achieved when they served with the various ships that they'd been on previously. Eventually, Roberts earned the nickname Black Bart. In Welsh, Barty Thee. Some say because of his heavily tanned appearance was the reason for the nickname, but others suggested it was because Roberts often tortured his captives, especially French ones, to find out where exactly they kept their valuables, Obviously something that a lot of pirates had done, including Morgan, as we mentioned in previous episode. So this was not original with Bart. So it does make me wonder if the previous description of him as a heavily tanned individual who looked darker would be one of the reasons why he was called Black Bart over and above his notorious reputation for being someone who tortured his victims. In one extreme event in October of 1720, for example, Roberts ordered his men to cut off the ears of a group of Dutch captives. Some were then hanged and their bodies used for target practice. Piracy was not for those who sympathized with their captives, and certainly the evidence proves that Roberts was not bothered by any of this. Roberts would crisscross the Atlantic Ocean, plundering ships off the coast of West Africa in the Caribbean, and off the coast of Brazil, along with the east coast of North America, as far north as Newfoundland, where he caused havoc amongst the fishing fleets. This ability to range so far helped him amass a lot of wealth, but it also created a lot of enemies in the process, and set him into the crosshairs of the Royal British Navy. Roberts was very aggressive in his plundering, where most pirates went for single vessels, and that would be their big score, he would attack fleets. In January of 1722, for example, he captured 11 vessels off the coast of West Africa, which was an amazing achievement. The captain of these slave ships were then asked for a quantity of gold to get their ships back again. This gold, which had been attended for the purchasing of slaves, would then, of course, go to Bart and his crew. 
One captain refused, so Roberts then covered his ship in tar and burnt it into a wreck. This then killed 80 slaves still trapped on board simply because Bart couldn't be bothered to actually unlock them from their shackles. Roberts would often use intelligence by capturing local fishermen to gather information about particular fleets. He used various tricks, such as flying that particular nation's flag, to approach a target. Obviously, it would see him as being just one of them until he got too close, whereupon he would raise his own flag. By that point, it was too late for that ship to escape. Roberts, of course, gave his own justifications for piracy, which I will quote now. In an honest service, there is thin commons, low wages, and hard labor. In this, piracy, plenty of satiety, pleasure, and ease, liberty, and power. And who should not balance creditor on this side when all of the hazards that is run for it at worst is only a sour look or two at choking. No, a merry life and a short one shall be my motto. And that is prophetic, if nothing else. For Roberts, being poor was a lot worse than being a criminal. With all his talk about pleasure, one thing Roberts did not do, on the other hand, was drink. His favorite drink, actually, was tea. Bart was a charismatic leader of men, made obvious by his quick ascent into captainhood. He also attracted a lot of support because he was hugely successful in acquiring plunder to share out with his crew. That also would make sense. However, this did not mean that they were always happy with him. In 1720, for example, a lieutenant named Walter Kennedy made off with two ships that he, Bart, had captured. Kennedy's career as a captain would end abruptly short, as he was then hanged only a year later for piracy. Surprise, surprise. As mentioned a couple of episodes back, Roberts was partial to dressing up. He gained fame for wearing bright red silks in battle. According to the general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates published in 1720, Roberts went into battle with his style being on display. In quotes, Roberts, being dressed in rich crimson damask waistcoat and breeches, a red feather in his hat and a gold chain around his neck with diamond crosses hanging on it, a sword in his hand and two pair of pistols hanging at the end of a silk sling flung over his shoulder according to the fashion of pirates. He was the image that Jack, Captain Jack Sparrow would be proud to represent in Hollywood films. Such was Robert's love of scarlet wardrobe accessories, the French nicknamed him Le Jolie Rouge. Roberts was known to fly the skull and crossbone flag, among other things, on his fleet ships. So keep in mind, it wasn't the only thing he flew, but it was a part of his paraphernalia. And so this flag is more generally known as the Jolly Roger, referring to Roberts for its association with him, although there are plenty other theories as to the origin of the Jolly Roger's name, so take this with a grain of salt. It is not necessarily the actual meaning or reason why it's called that. Black Bart's most famous flag showed him drinking a cup of wine with a skeleton, or devil, grasping a burning spear. 
Pirates were not above a bit of self-promotion, and Robert's personal banner showed him with a sword standing on top of two skulls, under which were the letters ABH and AMH, signifying that they had represented the decapitated heads of the governors of Barbados and Martinique, respectively, ABH standing for a Barbadian head and AMH as a Martinique head, both of whom sent ships to pursue Rogers and obviously had about as much success as you can expect under that circumstance. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Kato, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 and use the code welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code welshhistorypod50 at factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hello everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go. Unlike most pirates who preferred lightly armed, small but fast vessels with shallow draft, like a sloop, Roberts commanded a large ship bristling with 42 or possibly 52 cannons on the Royal Fortune. Roberts had worked his way up, capturing bigger and better armed vessels over the years of piracy, and not very surprising, as successful pirates would see the value of better vessels for carrying on bigger and better raids. Because of Robert's love for the name, he reused the name Royal Fortune several times over his pirating career. Apparently, up to four ships were named Royal Fortune under his command. The most famous Royal Fortune was the French warship built around 1697 in Bayonne. Roberts captured it in the Caribbean waters near Martinique, thanks to the pirates having a fleet of several ships to be used on the assault. As an added bonus, on board at the time was the governor of Martinique, which of course just added a little bit more to that 
capture and made it even more sweet as Roberts detested all authority and persisted attempts to try and bring him to justice. So it was with great relish that he hanged the governor from the yardarm, at least according to the account given in the previously mentioned A General History, that book from 1720 we mentioned earlier. The square rigging and well-armed Royal Fortune was a powerful enough ship to exchange broadsides with any naval vessel sent against it. A Danish victim of an attack by Roberts gave the following description of the Royal Fortune and its armaments. In quotes, The said Roberts ship is manned by about 180 white men and 40 French Creole black men and has mounted 12 8-pounders, 4 12-pounders, 12 6-pounders, 12 and 6 bronze 8-pounders, and four pounders, and in beneath her main foremast has seven guns, two and three pounders, and two swivel guns upon her mizzen. So in other words, this is one heck of a heavily armed and able ship. Roberts, unfortunately for him, soon had to abandon his flagship, most likely because the hull was beyond repair after a decade of wear and tear from both the seas and the sea life which ate at the wood. From early 1721, he sailed the Onslow, a ship of the Royal African Company, which he, of course, obviously renamed the Royal Fortune. It would be the last of that name under Robert's command, and by removing internal bulkheads, which were now not needed to separate cargo, space was then created for 40 cannons. The superstructure fore and aft were also removed to make the ship lighter, faster, and more maneuverable. The extra deck space was able to allow even more guns to be carried. So from studying these descriptions and kind of getting an idea of what he was going for, what he wanted his ship to be able to do was to outmaneuver any other ship in the, on the sea of a similar size and to be able to outgun them. Because if he could do both, especially in this age of sail, he would have a incredible advantage over ships equal to his that in and of itself was reason enough to do that and it meant that he was a terror because of that had it not been for these achievements and for these modifications and constant upgrading certainly he would not be able to take on massive fleets of ships or overtake larger prizes because he simply wouldn't have the ability to whereas a lot of other pirates couldn't also have a larger crew because they didn't have a large enough ship to man with that much crew. Because, I mean, if you hear from the crew that was described earlier, we're talking almost, well, over 200 people manning all of these guns, making sure the ship was moving and kept afloat, you know, doing maintenance, all those basic things that you have to do in order to keep a ship moving in this era something that would not necessarily be on the norm for most pirates in this age. And speaking of this kind of age for pirates, one thing that uh, it was not uncommon for pirate captains to draw up lists of rules for their crew known as ship's articles. Each man was obliged, leaving his mark if he could not write, to attest to this document and to swear his obedience to them. We know, for example, that Morgan also had his own version of these 
but they're less well-known. Reason being, of course, because these get written down. It would make sense that you would have set rules in place so that your crew would understand what was expected of them and what the expectations were during a voyage. Otherwise, you would have voyages that would devolve into mutinies and chaos because you don't have set rules in place for punishment, for rewards, all of those basic things that the crew couldn't act like they didn't know what was coming or what was going to happen. So, to give us an example, these articles were then compiled by a later author of this book that we've been mentioning from the testimony of both former crew members and presented in this who's who of pirates. So this is some of the articles that they had to live by. One, keep their peace, muskets, pistols, cutlasses clean and fit for service. Obviously, you wouldn't want your weapon to suddenly cut out on you in the middle of a battle. No boy or woman were to be allowed. If a man was found seducing any of the latter sex and carries her to sea, disguised, he is to suffer death. Something we mentioned previously is that women, typically in some ships, specifically this one, this grouping of ships, was not allowed. Seen as bad luck by some, seen as bad for morale by others. Three, the, to desert the ship or their quarters in battle is punished with death or marooning, abandonment on a deserted island or a small boat without provisions. Four, there are points illustrating the relative fairness and equality between crew members. Every man had a vote in affairs and equal title to the fresh provisions of strong liquor at any time that was seized and may use them at their pleasure unless in a scarcity make it necessary for the good of all to vote for a retrenchment or to stop using the limited amount of alcohol they have. Then there were some surprising points for a bunch of obvious pirates to consider these as being important to list. Uh, so those two items are no person is to game at cards or dice for money. So no betting, poker, or anything of the nature. The musicians to have rest on the Sabbath day. That is a peculiar one because one, I guess, I didn't know that you would have necessarily a ship's musician, but I also kind of find it interesting that um, they had a Sabbath day rest, which would be... Inter uh, unusual in, in what I would have perceived, I guess. Roberts had predicted that he would enjoy a very brief life of crime, something he mentioned earlier. Something of a fatalistic approach likely allowed him to feel like he cheated death on a number of occasions. Keeping in mind Roberts had only joined the pirate life in 1719, would it surprise you to know that his entire career lasted less than three years? Roberts was killed on February 10, 1722, on board his ship after a prolonged engagement with the Royal Navy frigate HMS Squallow, commanded by Captain Shaliner Ogle, who had been searching for Roberts for several months due to previous notations about the fact that he'd been raiding across all of the Atlantic and basically upsetting everybody in the process. 
A tropical storm had begun to blow, and the two ships had been struggling to maneuver into position of advantage over the other. As the two vessels passed close to each other, Roberts was fatally hit in the throat by a metal fired as grape shot. So basically where they chuck a bunch of pieces of metal into a cannon and just fire it in a scattershot format from one of Swallow's cannons. The body of the fallen captain was put overboard by his men as he had instructed them to do in such an eventuality in order that the authorities did not take and posthumously hang him. Ogle's men won the day after a three-hour battle and 268 pirates were captured. Robert's crew had often included former slaves, either released, captured slave ships, or escapees from colonial plantations who had volunteered for a life of piracy. Seventy-seven black African slaves were then had fought with Roberts as pirates and were captured by the captain of the Royal Navy, and they were all returned to slavery. Tried and found guilty of piracy and murder, 52 of Roberts's pirate crew were hanged in the sight of the walls of the Cape Coast Castle in Guinea. This was the largest public execution of pirates in this so-called Golden Age of Piracy. Another 20 men were sentenced to hard labor in West Africa, another form of death sentence since very few survived very long in these penal colonies. Of course, as you can imagine in this situation, if you are the captain of the ship that captures this notorious crew and brings them to justice, obviously you're rewarded and Captain Ogle received a knighthood for his efforts and ended his career eventually with the rank of admiral. So his achievements were considered such a brilliant success in taking down a fairly notorious, well-known pirate, one who'd been written about and become something of a celebrity back at home, that that would be something notable and laudable, at least to the Royal Navy, if not necessarily to the public, who didn't see what he was doing as necessarily bad. Keep in mind, as we sometimes perceive them nowadays, Pirates are seen more or less like Robin Hoods than they are as evil, necessarily. I mean, a lot of times, unless you're out in the seas and in face with them, all you hear about is the glorious victories and the big acquiring of booty and all of those kind of things that we think about when we think about piracy and not the scurvy, the disease, the, you know, loss of limbs and life to various battles, you know, the executions, the pillaging, the rape, the murder, the torture that would go on so frequently in this lifestyle. You know, the the, the idea that it was a life of ease and a life of, you know, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge criminal is something of a misnomer because they were just criminals. They were just thieves and Pirates were not necessarily, you know, looking out for the little guy. And you have a very good example in what Black Bart did to the slaves. Even though he had slaves on his crew, even though there was an expectation of of equality amongst the crew members, which would be something unusual in that era, that would not necessarily save slaves from death if Bart 
saw no need to keep them. And that mentality served him well enough to survive for a few years and gain a lot of notoriety, but it did end up in his death nonetheless. And uh, he remains something of a Welsh legend because of it, but keep in mind all the bad sides to this man and what he did. So with that, I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can always reach me at welshhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Welsh History Pod. Or you can also reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Welsh History Podcast. And of course, if you would like to support this podcast in any way, shape, or form, anything is certainly appreciated. And I am so grateful for anybody who does consider donating. Um, it is something that uh, I certainly do not take for granted, and it does help with the purchase of research and making sure that this uh, podcast remains as appropriately researched for each of the subject matters that we take on. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this little peek at Welsh piracy, and we'll be moving on to a different topic next time. Thank you all for listening. Have yourselves a great day. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Welsh History Podcast is a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. To find more information on them, you can do so at evergreenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. This is Peter. And this is Tom. We want to tell you guys a little bit about our podcast. Tom and I met in college, became best friends, and then teachers almost 20 years ago. Sometimes school just does not allow us to elaborate on the topics that we find interesting, like the real shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws, or the real historical context to Indiana Jones artifacts. Where does cereal come from? Or are zombies real? Does Ben Franklin really deserve to be on a $100 bill? On our podcast, just like in our class, there are no stupid questions. Just two friends having a lighthearted conversation about history, pop culture, and the context of current events. Listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast from Evergreen Network, anywhere you get your podcasts.